Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right, well, welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Welcome to all of our listeners. Always a pleasure to be with you here at the clinic um, where we're going to talk about spiritual health, mental health, and physical health. Well, to start off, I know that if you were listening last week, we talked about uh, doing a challenge and doing a virtue challenge of, of faith, hope, and love and doing an hourly uh, well, a holy hour every week, an hourly uh, holy hour, right? So a holy hour every week. Uh, we're going to do that for 12 weeks. I got some responses, and I think that was smart. Um, some people said, well, Dr. Sandoval, can we do it right after Easter? Because right now I'm in the middle of Lent, and I've got my own prayer schedule going, and I know that after Easter we're going to do that. And I think that's a good idea. Another response I got was, uh, Dr. Sandoval, you know, I know that you mentioned doing it, but can I get a little bit more structure, a little bit more background? And I thought that's pretty smart. Okay, let's organize it. Let's do it right. You know, let's not do it haphazardly. I like the idea of the challenge. I like the idea of doing a 12 week, uh, holy hour challenge where we focus on the virtues and we really use the virtues as tools to work in our lives. What I'm going to do then is in a couple of weeks, so right after Easter, uh, the following show, we'll do a show on the virtues and we'll do a show on what's entailed in this challenge. I'm excited about it. I think it should be pretty cool because I really want to see change in our lives. In my life, I want to make sure that if God is telling me, hey, these virtues are there, they're good for you, um, and they're going to improve your life, I want to do that. But we got to remember that with faith, hope, and love, they are infused virtues, which, which means that we have to ask for them, and they don't just come naturally. God actually gives them to us. But He's not going to give us what we don't ask for. So we'll talk about that more uh, right after Easter. And we're, I uh, encourage you to look forward to that. Um, and so hopefully we can do that and we'll get a good response and we'll see what happens in our lives. We'll see our spiritual improvement. Today's show um, is going to be a special show. I think it's a really good show. I have a, a special guest. Uh, her name is Janet. Janet, are you on the line? Yes, I am. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today, Janet. Um, let me introduce Janet a little bit. I know her for, how long have we known each other for now, Janet? Uh, about four years now. So we've known each other for about four, I would dare say a little bit longer, maybe. Yeah. I want to say maybe, maybe about five or six years that we've known each other. Yeah. And the way I know, the way Janet and I came to know each other was because I happen to be uh, helping out with her brother. I volunteer, as you know, with the diocese sometimes and, and do some treatment. And I happen to be helping out with her brother who needed help and who needed treatment. And we're, what I really want to get into the show is really from Janet being that you are, you do live with your brother, correct, Janet? Yes. In the same household. So I think for our listeners, it would be so, so important and so interesting to get a perspective of what is it like to take care of my sibling? I know we've had shows before where we talked about, you know, spouses and children, but and taking care of children with mental health issues or spouses with mental health issues. But really, in this case, what is it like to take care of my sibling? And we're going to get into the case uh, without revealing who this, you know, any, any private information overall. We're going to talk generally about what's going on with your brother and about how it's affected your life. But before we get started, usually here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio, uh, we do a prayer, right? So, Janet, is there any special prayer you'd like to pray today before we can start our show? Our Father. Perfect. Do you want to go ahead and lead us in the Our Father, Janet? Uh, yes. Go ahead. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us, give this, us day, this day our daily bread. Our daily bread. And, and forgive us our trespasses, trespasses as we forgive, as we those, forgive those who trespass against, against us. And lead us and not us into evil. temptation, Amen. but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name Amen. of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The Amen. The Holy Spirit. Well, thank you, Janet. Amen. Thank you for that prayer. And, you know, it's interesting because here on the show, we always talk about the intersection between, you know, our physical health, our mental health, and our spiritual health. And in this case, um, I'd like to get a little bit of background. So you still live at home with your brother. You live with your parents as well, Janet? Yes. Okay, it's so. um, me and my brother, um, the one that suffers from mental illness, and my younger brother and my parents. Yeah. And so, you know, there's plenty of people in the household, very common household, right? Where we live with our siblings and our yeah. parents. And one of the things for, for your brother, when did all this get started? How long ago did he start having any kind of issues that you can recall? Um, what I can recall, um, it started back in 2000. Mm -hmm. um, um, I, I would say about year of 2000 that so, he started. So in 2000, and what was the first thing that happened or what did you notice happened to him back then? I noticed he was very um, aggravated. Um, he, he didn't really sleep well. So he was always like tired because he didn't sleep. Um, he was up mostly all night. Um, his attitude started changing. Um, he was um, a little... Um, he's a very mellow person, very humble, mm -hmm. and he's always been that type of brother that's always worried about everybody, making sure the house is locked at night. He's always been like that since he was little, very, very overprotective about everything, uh, making sure everybody's okay, you know. Mm -hmm. But when you start, I started looking at changes where he wasn't, he hadn't, he didn't have a good sleeping pattern. Um, he was becoming very like aggressive. Um, he would get fed up right away. Um, he was always tired. Um, he, he's been, always been a very faithful person. So his healing, um, his, um, his spiritual guidance has helped him a lot through the years on that. And that calms him down when he gets, you know, very angry and but Janet, just quick, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but very quickly, sure. when this started, so you mentioned, you know, he started not sleeping well, he started being more irritable, and really it sounds like he wasn't acting like himself. You said normally he's very caring, thinking outside yeah. of himself, making sure everybody's okay, making sure that the house is locked, very responsible and very much caring of other people. Uh, when did he, did he, he, it sounds like he stopped doing that. It sounds like he stopped caring about other people. He kind of started focusing on himself. Is that fair to say? Yes. He was just focusing on himself, and then he started talking about how he was hearing voices, and um, he would see um, bad things or hear bad things happening to other people. Um, he would then worry about those people that he would hear that stuff would happen to him, to them, to those people, and he couldn't do anything to help them. And did he mention and that will? Did he mention what the mad. did he mention what the voices said, or did he mention um, what he imagined uh, was happening to people in particular that he couldn't stop or anything like that? Um, he would just say like someone was getting killed, or um, someone someone was being yelled at aggressively, um, or he will see like demonic demons, um, spirits that wouldn't leave him alone and um, 
and he would just be very, um, how do you say, um, not focused. He was just very, like, not, like, I could see it in his pupils that he wasn't just, like, looking at me. He was, like, his eyes were somewhere else. Okay. Like, so, dazed. So he was, like, dazed. He was, like, looking elsewhere. He wasn't present. It's what it sounds like. Yes. And so then a, a question I have for you is, did something incite this? Was there a trigger? Was there a reason why this started? Or did it seem like it just came on randomly? You know, ever since my brother was a baby, he was in an incubator when he was born. His lungs weren't developed right. So after that, he's had several, several accidents. We call him like um, he has nine cat lives because like the whole family, um, he's had accident after accidents where he survived these accidents were, were almost deadly accidents. Um, he fell off a ladder from my dad when he was two years old. He wasn't able to breathe for a long time until they took him to the emergency room. He was almost blue. Um, and then uh, not only that, he accidentally playing cowboys and Indians hanged himself. Oh. Um, it wasn't until my brother was holding on to him and yelling until my mom ran out and he was practically almost hanged. So, so let's and back then up after little. that, let, yeah. let me, let me stop right there one second. Um, because uh -huh. I want to hear what happened after that, but very, very, very quickly, it sounds like there was a whole lot going on since he was born. Do you remember why yes. he was in the incubator when he was born? My mom was, um, immigrating and she had her immigration appointment in and Tijuana. Mm -hmm. So my, um, she was living over there with my grandparents until she was able to get her, um, her immigration for her appointment. And she was already seven months pregnant at mm -hmm. the time with her, with him. And, um, and at that time, um, he was, um, born early, um, almost that she was like seven and a half months pregnant. And his lungs, um, he had, um, his lungs needed more time to um, develop. So okay. they had him in an incubator to help him breathe. Gotcha. So he was born premature is what they called yes. it. His lungs weren't uh -huh. ready to well, be breathing. Premature, yeah. That, and so you mentioned, and so before I interrupted you, you mentioned, okay, so he was born premature. His lungs needed some help. So there was already a question of oxygenation there. You said he fell from yes. a ladder and when he fell from a ladder, he stopped breathing? Yes. And you said he was turning blue before you got him to the hospital, so there was already a question of brain injury there. You said he accidentally yes. hung himself when he was playing cowboys and Indians, uh, uh -huh. unfortunately. And then you were mentioning something else before I interpreted you. What happened after that? After that, um, he he was he was a good kid, and he had trouble. He was always really petite, small, mm -hmm. uh, compared to all of other siblings that we have. <laughs> Uh, us, um, he was always the smallest of all of us, um, took him forever to grow. Um, and you know, he wanted to do everything the big brother did play sports and stuff like that. And he wasn't really good at sports, but he tried until okay. he went to high school. Um, he was very active in track, cross country he, and wrestling. He was really good at that. Well, Janet, okay. hang on, because this is very interesting. That music tells me we're going to go to break for a little bit. Okay. And I know you're going to stay with us. But when we come back, I want to find a little bit more about how he developed in school, because I think a lot of our listeners wonder, if he had all these issues going on, how was he going to do academically? How was he going to, how was he going to develop? More when we come back.
All right, and welcome back to the clinic here at the Dr. Louise Sandoval Show. Always a pleasure to be with you. And today we have our special guest, Janet. And Janet, we are talking about life with a sibling who's suffering from, say, the intersection of mental illness, physical illness, and potentially spiritual influence, uh, demonic spiritual influence. So when we got right before the break, we were talking about um, your brother and his development. We talked a little bit about how, unfortunately, as he was growing up, he suffered a lot of injuries where he might have not had oxygenation to his brain. So a lot of times we call that an oxic brain injury, meaning that if the brain wasn't getting oxygenation, uh, it could affect our way of thinking. It could affect our development. It could manifest in many different ways. Janet, you were telling us a little bit about when he started school and he was in high school and he was developing. Would you say that he had a normal development or where would you say he was at academically? Um, he was very active uh, academically. He had, you know, normal teenage life, sports, school. He was very smart, um, very, uh, always had good grades, never caused any issues with my parents, no fights. He wasn't, you know, he was a normal kid. He had a girlfriend um, and he was, he, he had a job, very responsible, always responsible. And that's something that has never changed on him. He's, uh, he's always maintained his responsibilities, always paying his bills on time, making sure that um, everything is taken care of on his end. So it sounds like it sounds like things were developing normally. It sounds like he was going yeah. to school. He had a responsibility. It didn't seem like any of this would have affected him. Is that at this point, like I say, in high school, is that pretty fair to say? Yeah, pretty and, fair to say. And so when would you say that things started to change? Now, you mentioned his personality changes. Was this after well, this was in college you know, like, or...? He actually started changing, like I said, in two thousand year two thousand. Mm -hmm. In the year two thousand, um, he suffered a really blow in the head on the on his neck at work. What kind of work was After he doing? After that, he became very. Um, his his whole lifestyle started changing. Janet, sorry to interrupt, um, but what what kind of work was? Why did he end up with a blow on his head? Was it just a freak accident? Was he working construction? It was just an accident. Okay. You know, somebody was unloading um, two by fours. Okay. And um, they didn't know he was in front of the truck, and when they unloaded, the whole thing came down like forty five miles per hour. Oh wow! <laughs> just hit him. Yeah. Wow. So it's so a miracle he survived. He, Yes, he was a miracle. He survived. He had um, didn't have any seizures, but he had a concussion. Okay. Um, on top of that, he had a concussion. He um, had a lot of neck swelling. His neck was hurting him a lot. He was going through work comp doctors for pain management. Um, the pain medications that were given to him weren't helping him. He was about like that for a whole year, and that's when we started noticing he was changing, always staying up, very aggressive, um, saying he was hearing voices, um, talking about people that wanted to, you know, harm the family, harm him, um, and it was it was a lot of little things. Um, so he turned into using um, methamphetamine. So, um, so he started he using started methamphetamine. Using that. So he started using methamphetamine. And did you? Oh, yeah. did, when did you find out he was using methamphetamine? I didn't find out until he lost his... <laughs> he went to go see his doctor, his pain management doctor. Mm -hmm. 
he had an appointment and they noticed he was, you know, gibbering, talking on himself. Um, they were worried about him. So they called for um, social services to go see him that day at the hospital, at the doctor's office. And he was, he hadn't slept for days. He, he wasn't sleeping. So he was very antsy, um, you know, just very antsy, moving around, talking to himself. And um, they ended up um, calling me, telling him that, telling me that the social service worker was telling me that he was um, not right and they were going to send him to the hospital and evaluate him. And um, it wasn't until they sent him to the hospital where me and my mother arrived that um, hours later they came to tell me that they had to restrain him because he was going to be admitted in for a psychiatric evaluation for 48 hours. And so that was your first, that was the first time he had any touches or any levels of care at the level of psychiatric care. Is that right? Yes. That was the first time. And do you feel that it was helpful or how did it go from there? Did it help him out or or what was his course like? It was very emotional for us because um, knowing my brother, for him to go through that was really hard. On, sure. on me and my mom and my family. Sure. And um, and that's when we found out that he was using drugs. Sure. And because he, w- he didn't want to sleep. He wanted to stay awake because if he fell asleep, he felt like he was being attacked more demonically. And um, he will hear more voices. Because you said even before uh, this, you said that the reason he started using the methamphetamine was because he was already hearing the voices. Is that right? Yeah. So he used it as a way to cope. You know, it's it's interesting. I, I, yes. I uh, it's interesting to ask and to see how people do it because a lot of our listeners always say, "Well, is it because of the drug use that people have mental illness? Is it the other way around? Like in your brother's case, is it, do they start using drugs because of the mental illness? What kind, it's kind of a chicken or an egg, and it really is person dependent. I want to remind our listeners that. Whenever I see somebody who's who's using drugs, it's hard to say uh, why they started using the drugs. Um, tr- we try not to judge. We try to see, you know, why is it that you continue to use the drugs? Because obviously there is a reward system that's being activated. But in this particular case, he was already in pain. He was already scared, hearing voices, imagining violent things. And he turned to the drug as a way of soothing himself. Yeah. Okay. And so then what happened after he ended up in the hospital, when he came out of the hospital? What did you think of the treatment, and, and how did you see him? Um, well, they um, gave him um, a couple of doctors for him to see a neurologist and um, a psychiatrist. Okay. So we set up appointments for him. In the hospital, He, um, when we went to go see him, they, they were allowed, we were allowed to see him on the second day. He was calm. They started him off medication. So he was calm. He had slept. But he was begging me to get him out because it was the worst place he could ever be at. And, why, why is that? Um, what, what, was his, what was he telling you? What was his experience? Why was it so bad? His experience at a mental hospital, it was a county hospital. Um, as, I don't know if, if anybody's been in one, but his experience was when they, he got in there, they evaluate you. They're looking at you. They're trying to see what the issue was causing you to be that way. So they, um, they, he said that, you know, they stripped him naked, almost like jail. 
and they searched him to make sure he didn't have drugs. Um, then they gave him, you know, his um, um, clean clothes to wear, and they took off his shoelaces, anything to provide him to make sure he doesn't commit suicide. Sure. Um, which is, you know, precautions and their policies to do that. But he said that he, um, they put him in a room with some other people, and the other people, were, of course, they had more severe mental illness than he was. And for him to see the other people suffering and um, seeing him, you know, um, with every case I was there was horrifying for him to you know, see. And, th- and that's very, very challenging. You know, one of the things that happens, people don't really understand the way that the mental health system is set up, and I'm not saying it's the most perfect system. One of the challenges, and that's something that we talked about when we were going through training among ourselves, uh, the other residents and doctors, was that, you know, especially like you said, in a county setting, there, you know, it's a, it's a very... Um, eye-opening setting for a lot of people because people imagine, oh, if they're going to go to the psychiatric hospital, they think it's going to be a bit of a spa or somebody's going to sit down, they're going to be able to relax there. But the reality is, is as you're going to the county setting, there is no, some of them have separate sections for uh, different people or different levels of mental illness or different um, uh, things that are being affected, such as some some might have a separate setting for depression versus drug use and whatnot. But other places, it's just one big giant room, shall we say, where they lump every Everybody. Yeah. And this is why they do have to do uh, um, strip, like they search the clothing. They, there's not necessarily somebody watching you while you change, but they do ask you to remove all your clothing because you do get a lot of people sometimes who have weapons on them or who yeah. uh, have drug, extra drugs on them or things of that nature, which would not be conducive to a, 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 an environment that can already cause some chaos or there can be some unrest there. And so it can be very harrowing. And I can appreciate how he said, gosh, I just want to get out of here. And and I don't like this experience at all. Um, When he came out of that hospital, though, do you feel he was better for having been there? Or do you feel like things could have been different? Um, I think things could have been a little bit different. I was mad at the system. Mm -hmm. Um, I was very angry because I didn't want him to, you know, as a sibling, I didn't want him to suffer, and mm-hmm. I thought it didn't really help. I think it would have probably been a better way um, to, instead of admitting him in, it would have been better to see for us to get him back and send him to a psychiatrist or a neurologist to get evaluated. Now, and do you think he would have gone, though? Do you think if they would have sent him? If, yes, cause because it's interesting. Um, after that, um, I was in charge. I started being in charge of his care. As soon as he got out and they told me he needs to see a psychiatrist, he needs to see a neurologist, I made phone calls and I got him in to see a doctor. His first, he was a neurologist psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. And I um, made him an appointment that same week. We went to go see him. We went together. And... Um, that that doctor um, helped them, and um, but that doctor, you know, there's different doctors out there, mm-hmm. um, and that doctor didn't do good for my brother. Mm-hmm. My brother was drugged more than he could be with medication. So you felt he was um, over medicated. Yes, over-medicated. He was, my brother's very thin, mm-hmm. very active. He always runs, 
He always maintains his weight. And that doctor just gave him, you know, you don't know this is the first time you're going and reaching out to a doctor. Sure. So you're thinking you're getting the best care you could ever get. Sure. Well, I, instead of my brother getting the proper care, it made him worse. Yeah. And physically and mentally, because instead of him getting better, he gained about 40 pounds in one month of the medication. He was stiff. He wasn't even active. He was depressed. Um, and we didn't know, you know, we were like, well, you know, maybe this is how it is because you're not sure it's really your first aware time of mental illness. Yeah, it's your first you time know? going through the system. You're not sure exactly yeah. how the medication is supposed to work. You know, it's supposed to make them better, and but you're trusting a yeah. professional, you know. Yeah, no, that's and, interesting, and, and and it's an interesting thing. We're going to come up on the break again here, Janet, but you know, huh? when, when we get back from the break, um, I want to hear a little bit more about this because I want to hear what, what your experience is like as well, as well as discussing, I want to get your thoughts on, do you feel that as we go through the medical part of it, there might be some spiritual components as well. I want to get your thoughts on that when we come back from the break. All right, welcome back to the clinic here at the Dr. Sandoval Radio Show, where we talk about mental health, spiritual health, and physical health. Um, today we have a special guest. We have Janet on the show who is sharing her story um, as she's helping her brother out at navigate the waters of mental health and spiritual uh, health. Janet, before the break, we were talking about you know how challenging it can be to know if you are getting the appropriate medication, especially your first time through the system. You mentioned that when your brother was first being treated, you know you felt he was over medicated, he was tired, he wasn't himself, he was getting stiff, he was gaining weight, and unfortunately, this is uh, these are I should say side effects that can occur with some of the medication we try. The important thing from a psychiatric perspective, from a medical perspective is, as I hear this from my patients, that they tell me that they're having these side effects, really to listen to them and see how can we adjust the medications because it doesn't have to be that way. Did you feel listened to? Did you feel like people were paying attention to what was happening? I didn't think um, he was listening to my brother or me or my mom. I tried to go to as many of his um, appointments Sometimes my mom would take him, um, but the one the times I I would go, <clears throat> I would ask the doctor that you know the medication it's too much, um, it's making it's giving him all the side effects and um, he I don't see him I see him more depressed more quiet not not wanting to be with a crowd of people um, even being with us at the house um, would make him. Um, not wanting to be with us, not sociable. Mm-hmm. He will always be in his room or locked in the garage, you know. So, um, the so, only thing that's always helped my brother is his faith. He's always okay. been very, very um, religious, praying. Um, he prays a lot. He's He has a lot of close friends that are priests that have helped him through his whole journey, and we are so thankful and that's one of my um, appreciate so much that I've the Catholic Church, the diocese has helped us so much ever since I reached out to them, and I met you. Oh, <laughs> let's well, get know, to hear. He seems to be been, doing um, okay now, right? I mean, it seems like yeah. we got him on good medication. Um, when it seems we, like 
We had um, we had a couple years that we struggled with him. Um, I stopped seeing that doctor, and um, we took him to another different doctor. Um, but that doctor was very expensive. Um, he didn't qualify for you know certain programs. We had to pay for his medication, mm-hmm. and we're talking about four hundred dollars for very, uh, thirty day refill. Right. It it was you know it's and then he we went through the county system to get help mm-hmm. and <clears throat> when we went there it's you know you're a number <laughs> sure no absolutely it's, i mean it, it, it's they have overwhelmed. so many people that go in and out and it's just yeah. you know it's no, it's the, not they didn't help him either absolutely i mean the system he is wasn't overwhelmed getting the care he needed right. he wasn't getting the medication so that's when right. i reached out to the diocese um, to a certain uh, priest, and he helped us, um, you know, referring us to you. Sure. No, I mean, I'm, and, and I was, I was glad that I could, you know, through the volunteer work there, I was glad that we could uh, sit down and kind of take a look at his case. And what I'm really happy about is one that he's taken well to the current treatment, and it seems like it's helped him. He's been able to hold a job. Yes. He's been able to he's be working, much more like himself. Um, he's do. He's done. So so much um, mm-hmm. with the different medication, um, you know, that you have prescribed for him, mm-hmm. the um, the group meetings that he goes to, um, his faith that he never stops. That I think that's the most important thing for for my brother is that he has such a big group of people supporting him here at home and uh, and on and the church, the diocese. Um, it's helped him so much to be where he's at right now. Yeah. And yeah, you know, he has his days that he's not good. Um, you know, he still sometimes has, well, you know, I'm hearing this and I'm seeing stuff or I'm seeing demonic stuff. And I go, okay, Sergio, let's talk about it. Um, you know, you've been a great coach to me, you know, telling me what to expect, um, how to listen to them. The main thing is to always always listen to them mm-hmm. even if you're tired you have your own problems um being a supporter a caregiver for them is the most important thing you could do with someone that suffers mental illness because they don't have no one else to trust or to talk to that's true and they think everyone's gonna judge them sure who, they're just crazy because who would you share and, that with right if you're experiencing this you really have to yeah. trust the person you're going to share it with. Not only yeah. that, not only because you realize at some point he's aware that what he's sharing with you or that these thoughts are not cohesive with what the general public thinks or the way that yeah. the general public's minds work. So, so anybody who's going through this, they're at, at a certain level, they're aware that their thoughts are not, uh, shall we say, within the norm. Um, so in order for them to actually share that with you, it takes a lot of trust. It takes a, It's a big deal because they're opening themselves up to be vulnerable and judged. Yeah, it is. It's it's a big deal for them. But tell and, me this. So uh, there's something interesting I wanted to hear. Um, you mentioned when you mentioned you got a lot of help from the diocese. Uh, I know that they're a big component for Sergio. Is he's worried that he is demonically influenced, correct? And so yeah. one of the questions I would have for you is, what are you, what's your take on that? Have you seen anything where you think, gosh, maybe this is uh, something spiritual? I maybe there are that... some forces on top of the medical and on top of the drug use? 
I think my brother has a little of everything because mm-hmm. I have personally been around him where I've seen things that are not normal. What have you and, seen? And uh, one day um, we were, I was giving him his pills. Mm-hmm. And um, I, you know, you're, when you're giving him his pills, I just threw it on his hand. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the pill floated in the air. It didn't land. It was like gravity just kept it up. So you threw and, it? And it slowly went into his hand. So you're saying you threw it or you, you were going to place it in? Like, how did that happen? You know, when, you know, you're just going to give someone something in your hand and you mm-hmm. just drop it on their hand. Oh, I see. So you were just you transferring. Like, you were just like in the midair. Yeah. You were just dropping and it I into his just, hand. Like, I dropped it on his hand. Mm-hmm. But it paused. it just stayed up. It just kind of stayed floating No, it never touched his hand. Oh. It never touched his hand. It That's just, the thing. It just stayed up. Like, gravity just kept it up. It and just, then slowly it went and touched his hand. And when he said that, it... It, he just like looked at it and then he's like, I felt like someone, you know, put the pill in my hand. Now, was, so that sounds pretty scary. Yeah. What was I couldn't move. I was like, I was breathless. Like, I was what like, just happened? what just happened? Now, this is and, interesting because let me ask you this. When that happened, as the, as you know, you're dropping, I, I can picture this happening. You know, I get, I, let's say I, my wife says she needs some aspirin or something and I get a couple of aspirin and she holds yeah. her hand out and I go to, to drop it into her hands and just transfer it that way. Obviously, I don't always place it right in her hands from my hand. Like sometimes you just hold the hand and drop it like coins or anything else. And you're saying that it floated. My question is, yeah. did you feel, now that's pretty impressive. I'd be scared of that happening. I'd be like, what just happened? Oh, I was scared did, but did you get a, a sense that it was some that there was some kind of okay with this phenomenon I was like there something dark or evil in the room you, so you did feel a bad I, energy i felt a bad energy in the room and i you know when you get like goosebumps sure. I was like you know i was sure. like i had goosebumps and i could feel like 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 a heavy breathing in the room no and and I was like, I was terrified. I mean, I we actually that day when that happened, we went to church. We called our priest, and he came and did a blessing at our house. Sure. So something like that would drive After me that. to go to church right away too if I saw that. Um, I yeah. guess. I guess my question would be, was there something that happened? Um, do, do you feel like when you okay? So when you saw this happen, do you think, oh gosh, is Sergio involved in the occult? Is he playing with a Ouija board? Is well, there, you know, what, what was your thought? When we were young, I was really young, and I used to we used to go out together. We had like a some we're like four years apart, almost three years. Mm-hmm. And so we had a couple group of friends that we used to hang out with, and he dated one of my friends. So you know, when you're young, you know you're doing crazy, dumb, dare stuff. Um, we're at our friend's house, and there was a group of guys and my a couple of friends that were playing the Ouija board. Mm-hmm. Ever since that, I've noticed that Sergio started saying, you know, he started like saying, oh, you know, this happened. And I go, oh, you know, I didn't, I didn't pay attention to it. But we used to live in this house and we, we honestly did believe the house was haunted where we lived, where we grew up with, because, um, 
we, I would, oh, at me, myself, experience being an old man always coming through my room. An old wow. man. And it wasn't until we were all like, you know, all the neighborhood kids were hanging out one night and we're talking about, you know, creepy stuff and ghost stories. And mm-hmm. then another kid mentioned the old man. And oh, I'm wow. like, uh, was he wearing this? He said, yeah. And then Sergio was like, yeah, I know that man. He has like a little bow tie and he has like, so we. So you were all seeing some kind of old that, man. Yeah, we all saw the old man. Wow. So, and then when we were always watching a movie in Sergio's room that he shared with my brother, um, the youngest brother, he w- we would always be in there and the door would open and close. All by itself. All by itself. And we'd be like looking. So we always used to, you know. So do you think there's always been something kind of hovering, shall we say, some kind of a presence or some kind of a... I think so. Okay. Because my mom even says that when he was a baby, um, he would, she would wake up in the middle of the night because he was in his crib staring up at someone and playing with that person. And do you, wow, so that's, that's pretty creepy but you my know, to mom hear that. Used to think, my mom used to think it was my grandma because her mother um, so took your, care of Sergio when he was really little. Your mom used to think it was a spirit of your grandma? The spirit of my grandma. Oh, interesting. Because, so well, because... Um, that, 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 I don't mean to cut you off, but the music telling us we're going to go to break. I okay. definitely want to hear more about this because we're going to talk about how much of the intersection here is that play between the spirit world, the physical world, and then your final thoughts on how to help a sibling. More when we come back from the break. All right, welcome back to the clinic here at the Dr. Sandoval Show here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Today we are talking to a very, very special guest, Janet, who is sharing her story uh, about how she's been able to help her brother out. Her brother has suffered through many things, including traumatic brain injuries, uh, loss of oxygen when he was growing up uh, on multiple occasions, loss of oxygen to the brain for various reasons. Apparently had been growing up normally all through high school and then maybe got close to his 30s and had another accident and things started going a little bit haywire. Um, started getting diagnosed with schizophrenia because he's hearing voices and seeing things. Also, there's some drug use involved, which has affected, obviously, the way that he behaves and the way that he thinks. Now, before the break, if you've been listening to us, Janet, you were telling us a harrowing story about a potentially a spirit, partially the spirit. Was, and let me clarify this. Was it the spirit of your grandmother or your great-grandmother who might have been hovering over his crib versus uh, this man with a bow tie that all these kids seem to have seen after either playing with a Ouija board or doing some stuff. What were your thoughts? Uh, well, um, the it was my grandma, my okay. mom's mother, and um, Ouija board, he, he did that on his own. I didn't play. I've never gotcha. played with that. Gotcha. And um, the spirit that we saw in our neighborhood, mm-hmm. There is a lot of, um, well, you know, you're young, so you see things and you don't want to talk about it to anybody. Sure, sure. Because you think it's just a dream. Sure. But, yeah, you know, when you hear other people saying, yeah, we've seen that person too, and, you know, they describe it, and everyone had the same story that the man would tell you. He would say, come with me. Oh, wow. Come with me. Oh, so he would talk to you? 
Yeah, he would talk to you and say, come with me. And where did and he I'll want you like, to go? I'd be just, huh? Where did he want you to go when he's saying, come with me? Did you, did you get a sense know, of where he I wanted you to go? I never went with him. Gotcha. I would get up out of my bed and I would just like be brave and I'll just get out of my bed and I'll run to my parents' room even when I was 15. And so, but, but you were saying then that you saw him in your room. Yes, he went through, in my room. How did he walk into your room? You said through a wall or through the door? Or how did he walk in there? He will be outside in the window, uh -huh. and I will wake up in the middle of the night and uh -huh. see him outside my window. Because I had, you know, like the really shimmering kind of like curtains, you know. Sure, sure. And you, that you could see through. Sure. And I would sheer. see him. I will always see him, and then he'll walk through the, it was just like, you know, like a ghost. Like coming he into the window. like through. Yeah, wow. and he would say, come, come with me, and I'm like... And your I'm brother like, saw this too? Yes. Okay, so I know that this is our and last so segment, that we could do a whole other show on that. Go ahead, go yeah. ahead. What's different is that room where I saw him was always my room. Well, mm -hmm. it wasn't my room, actually. It was my older brother's room. Okay. And then he got married, and he needed my room because my room was bigger because he had a baby. Okay. So they moved me to that room <laughs> Oh wow! as a teenager. So when I was a teenager, I would see that. And then I eventually moved to the room where Sergio and Arthur had. Okay. So I went to that. When I went to that room, they started seeing that old man. Well, you know, we could. Room. I think we might. We might have you back for another show, just to, so you can tell us all about these stories um, on, yeah. on your own. But uh, th those are those are pretty harrowing. Let's fast forward a little bit to to, uh, to your brother as far as his treatment. Um, being that this is our final segment, I kind of want to tie up his case here, and then I want to get your perspective as a sibling as to what uh, um, you know any any suggestions you might have for our listeners and whatnot. But first, what I want to hear is so how given that he's had all this influence at this point you we feel that he's on on good medication we feel like he's on a good medical treatment he yeah. said that he has a lot of support uh from his family as far as you know any social support he has you there obviously but then when we're talking about all the spiritual things that could be happening you know whether it be apparitions of you know ghosts spirits demons whatnot what kind of help has he gotten and what has been most effective for him deliverance barriers have been very helpful for him. Mm -hmm. um, just talking to um, to someone about it, a priest, having um, spiritual guidance, prayers prayed for him, him praying prayers um, that have helped him. Mm -hmm. um, that's been a lot with his med, and very important of all, always make sure they take their medication. Sure. Don't expect them to take it because they won't. Sure. Now, when um, you mentioned you can't the, sorry, trust them. So, well, before, <laughs> we'll get into that in a second. But give me a quick question for you. Don't mean to interrupt, and we'll get right back into the medication. Uh -huh. but were there any, you mentioned deliverance prayers. Were there any particular prayers that he found helpful that you know of? That I know will be the, the prescription prayers. They're called the prescription prayers. Mm -hmm. The 30-day um, prescription so, that we give? Yes. Those, okay. are, those have been very helpful for him. Okay, good. Yeah, that's um, a, and it's part of Michael, the as part of the deliverance uh, team. We have yeah. what we call, you know when anybody comes for deliverance, we give them a thirty day prescription um, yes. of prayers that they can do. Okay, and what? And else? he does those every day. He prays the rosary every day. He prays the rosary probably like four times a day. 
Okay. And would that you say that them. that's, would you, okay. And interesting though, because a lot of uh, my listeners sometimes say how much prayer is too much prayer. Now, obviously the Bible tells us to pray without ceasing, but we can get into the danger of becoming scrupulous with over praying where we're just doing words after a while. And then the sense of prayer is not there. Do you feel that he's able to pray the rosary multiple times a day and he's still devout to it and still uh, efficacious for him? Um, well, the prayers help him meditate. Good. Good. And it calms him down. That's perfect. It makes him think of something else. That's perfect. So he's not constantly thinking negative stuff, you know. Yeah, no, so he has his mind occupied, which is really good. Yeah. And what a better place to have your mind occupied than meditating on the life of Christ than through the rosary. meditating and praying, yes. Sure. That's, that's the best thing for him. Um, that's one of his the best prescriptions he could ever have is his faith in him praying. Um, he prays, <laughs> he's always praying. And for me, I don't judge him because I think prayer is the most beautiful thing you could mm-hmm. ever do because it, it does so much to you. It's medicine from God, Sure, you know, giving you the strength that you need to carry on and do anything. I mean, when you feel down and you're, you know, you feel lonely or you're just tired, I'm, uh, that has helped me as well sure. to cope with him. And not only that, but I have an ill mom, you know, my mom's very ill. So I have to take care of both of them. And I work a full-time job where, you know, it's very stressful. I get home and I'm bombarded as soon as I come in sure. to the house with him and her. And, and you probably him, don't always want to hear it, right? You probably get home, you're no, tired, and, and some I days you don't want to hear it. No. But, you know, I know they need me. So I come in the house and I say, I'll be right with you. I need 15 minutes for myself. I think that's wonderful. I think that that's fair to set those boundaries because you're just kind of recharging your batteries. Yes. So I come home, I go to my room, I change. And at the same time where I'm changing, I'm praying. I'm saying, God, give me strength to help my loved ones so I could be able to help them, you know, because they need me. That, you know, and, and that's so powerful that you have that insight because it can, it can get very, very hard for anybody, especially after you come home from work um, and uh, they, you know, come home, you come home from work, you're tired, not the time you want to listen to something else. You want your brain to turn off, but you have enough insight to realize there really are, I mean, they really do need my help and I'm their support, but I need that time to myself. And I like to remind any caregiver out there, it's so important to take that time to yourself to recharge those batteries before you're going to give care to anybody at any capacity, but especially if somebody needs your support where they might not be thinking clearly all the time, where they might want to share the same stories with you over and over, that can get very frustrating. Um, You know, any word of advice to people out there who have a sibling, a loved one that they're taking care of, who might be in the same position, any, anything that any insights that you've gained that you would like other people to know take time for yourself you're important as well but also remember that they need you and there's a reason why god chose you to be their caregiver their person and that's going to give you more strength to carry on and give you the patience that you need to be there for them and care for them. Yeah, and that's so important to, you know, what a great insight to it. Take that step back and remember 
that God puts us in, God knows where he puts us and God knows where we are and God's not done working with us. It's easier for us to get frustrated and to wonder why me, but, but you know, if we look at this through the eyes of God, there's a reason why we're there. At the same time, you make a great point. Take time for yourself, know the boundaries as well, because while we are there, it's important to realize how much can this person do on their own? We don't want to take the whole thing on ourselves. You mentioned something very important. Don't trust that they're taking their medication all the time. And what did you mean by that? Because sometimes I would tell them, oh, did you take your medication? Because, you know, sometimes you're tired and you forget as mm-hmm. well as yourself. And I've noticed, you know, in a couple of days he wasn't taking his medication. So I went and I counted him and I'm like, you haven't been taking your meds. Yeah, I did. No, you didn't. And, they'll, you know, they'll lie and to you, can you tell. in your face. You can tell, right? And so what I do now is I keep all the medication with me in a safe place. Um, and I give it to him every night and he's I, okay with he's that. going to bed. He, he's, I'm o- sorry? he's okay with you doing that. Yeah. So that's, is. that's also very important to remember because, uh, and I think that that's wonderful. I always tell caregivers or family members and patients to, you know, the, the team approach is the best because one, the patient won't feel so alone in taking the medications Two, they feel supported by that. And they realize it's okay because my family member is helping out with them, but then it keeps everybody honest as well. If you can create that. And if your if your loved one allows you to do that, I think that's the best way to go. One of the challenging things is that that doesn't happen for everybody. And I'm glad that your brother is letting you do that. But in other, I, in other cases, yeah. some people say, no, I don't want anybody to give my meds. I just want to be in charge of them. And they are their medication. So it, it is up to them. I'm glad that he's able to uh, see the benefit of having you help him. Yeah. Sometimes it's not peach, peaches and cream though. <laughs> sometimes he yeah. doesn't want to take his meds when I'm giving them to him. And I, and I look at my, the way I get to him is cause you need to know your person. You need to know them really well. And I know him really good. And I look at him and I say, you need to take your meds because if you don't take them, then you're not going to get the help that you need. That's your deliverance prayers. You're not going to get the help from other people because they're going to know that you're not doing your part as well to make yourself better. You know, Jenna, and that's such a great insight. Our show is coming to a close. I really want to thank you for being with us, for sharing this story, because I think a lot of listeners are going to relate to multiple aspects of it. This is truly a case where there's physical, mental, and spiritual health issues going on. And you bring up the greatest point. I think the greatest advice is that we can give our loved ones is make sure you take the medication. Prayer is a medication. Take the prescription medication that they're also giving you because if you're not doing of your part, how do you expect anybody else to help you out? If you're not trying of your part to try to get better, then you're right. Even the spiritual help, how are the saints going to intercede for us? How's God going to help us when they say, gosh, this person doesn't even seem like they want to try. Janet, thank you so much for being here with us. Um, and hopefully we'll have you back on the show to tell us some of those other stories that you were telling us with spiritual sure. influence. Right. All right. Thank and oh, thank you for I'm being here. And until next week, we'll see you again here at the clinic on the Dr. Sandoval Show.